Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have another interview episode. My name is Ben Pearson. I am a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and on today's episode, I wanted to share a conversation that I had not too long ago with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, an actor whose credits you know, certainly, Inception, Brick, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, I mean, the list goes on, you know him. He has been uh, a major force in the world of entertainment ever since he was a kid, uh, and he sort of broke out on the TV show Third Rock from the Sun. Now he is returning to television with a show called Mr. Corman that is on Apple TV+. Plus. I believe four episodes of the show will have aired by the time you're listening to this, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the writer, producer, director, star of the show. He plays a character named Josh Corman, who is kind of loosely, kind of, sort of, based on him, but not really. He's basically a 30-something-year-old guy who used to be uh, in a creative field. He used to be a musician, not quite a rock star, but definitely a, a full-time musician. And now he finds himself uh, teaching fifth grade at an elementary school uh, in the valley, the San Fernando Valley outside of L.A., and uh, the show is sort of about this character grappling with what, uh, you know, the, the vision that he had for his life versus what his life has turned out to be. And uh, there are a lot of big themes explored in the show, but um, this character has some pretty serious anxiety, and that seems to be one of the, the driving forces for the series as well. Joseph Gordon-Levitt just sort of working through what it means to um, be a character who is constantly sort of on edge, and uh, and that experience translates in a really fascinating way to the small screen. So um, back in 2013, Jess Gordon-Levitt directed a, wrote and directed a feature film called Don John, which not a lot of people have seen, but um, is sort of an interesting creative experiment. So during this conversation, I asked him if he learned any lessons from that, that he sort of a, was able to apply to making Mr. Corman. Uh, and yeah, our, our conversation was a little 
wide ranging, but um, it touches on a, a bunch of different aspects of the show. And like I said, I think episode five airs this Friday by the time you're listening to this. So yes, here is my conversation with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. All right. Hey, Joe, how are you? Hey, man. I'm well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, so there are a lot of dialogue scenes in the show that take place in long, continuous shots. And I'm wondering how much of this series was born from looking at the way that things are typically done and then purposefully deciding to do things differently. <laughs> well, I hope I wasn't doing them just to be contrary, but like you did notice something that I notice a lot when I watch um, a lot of movies and shows nowadays is that there's a lot of editing and in for my taste it sometimes feels like too much it feels like i don't i want to feel closer to the actual performance that the actors are giving i don't need you to like cut every line um and uh and so yeah that was definitely an intentional choice of kind of trying to put the rhythm back into the hands of the actors which was really gratifying speaking as an actor and then of course as a director in the editing room later um i can be kicking myself sometimes but um <laughs> But I, you know, sometimes like I, I found it actually a lot of people who've seen the show have asked me like, was there was there a lot of improvisation? And um, the answer is actually no, there there wasn't really a lot. But I think it feels like that partially just because there are fewer cuts, so yeah, you, you it feels a bit more like you're really there in in the room with with people. Yeah, yeah. Were there any lessons that you learned from making Don John that you applied here on the show? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I got a lot more collaborative with Don John. I think because it was my first time ever getting to direct something, I was pretty dead set on just like the thing that's in my head is what I want to do. And with Mr. Corman, it was it was much more collaborative. Like I, I wrote a couple of scripts before Apple um, gave us the green light to hire writers. But then I hired you know, we, we hired four great writers who made the scripts so much better than they ever would have been if I were the only one working on them. And and same goes for, you know, there was another director directing episodes, Aurora Guerrero um, and and all the actors. I think I, I was really, really focused on trying to encourage them to take liberties and embellish and, and find things. And I mentioned a second ago, we didn't exactly improvise on the day of shooting because we didn't have time to but we would rehearse and we would we would improvise a lot on days of rehearsal and we would you know take down notes like ah let's do this instead of that and i really wanted you know the actors to bring bring their own selves to it and um and so uh yeah so i, I feel like the older i get the more i want to um be collaborative and i know it sounds weird people <laughs> people have been asking me like well, you did so much on this show. It's like you're the writer and the director and the blah, 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 blah. And I, I, I'd like to try to remind folks like, oh, but this is not just me at all. This mm -hmm. is a highly, highly collaborative effort. Yeah. There are some big philosophical questions that are presented in the show. And one of the things I found really interesting was this through line where several characters claim that there's only one thing that matters. One person says it's family. Another person says it's the moment that we're in right now. And another person says it's whether or not somebody likes you. So I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that idea and, and about maybe 
more broadly, like using this show as a canvas to explore big ideas like that. This is a thrilling moment, man. I, I get so excited when someone notices something that I didn't really notice. I, I never put that connection together that you're saying. No, you're totally right. I know the exact three lines you're talking about. And you're absolutely right. There's there's like a through line here of people saying, hey, only one thing matters. I swear to God, I never thought of that. I love <laughs> that. It only just goes to show like watching something is a creative process. I don't think audiences take enough credit for how much they bring to their own experience of, of watching a movie or a show or whatever it is. Um, so bravo to you, sir. That's great. I'm, I'm thrilled. Okay. Um, so, uh, but... Yeah, you know, it's funny, there, it reminds me of you're talking about the thing that really matters is, um, is being present. That That's also a theme that kind of recurs throughout is in various different ways that idea is brought up, of like how do you be present in the moment? And sometimes it's, it's spoken in a way that's actually pretty dismissive, um, but I personally tend to believe that that's a really healthy thing to try to focus on is how can you just be present in the moment? And it's mm -hmm. something that I think the character Josh has a lot of trouble doing. Um, and I also personally often have trouble doing. My mind tends to um, fixate on the past or the future or go around in circles. And, and as much as I try to stop it, um, it, it doesn't always listen to me. And uh, that's maybe something I have in common with the character. And, and so I, yeah, that that's something that then you know then by the end of the season, you you see him in in he's he's playing music and and he he has a moment like that where you hopefully you can kind of tell like oh he's there right now, yeah, um, and uh, that's that's the little baby step growth that that we get from from season one. Yeah, um, there's this underlying current of anxiety in this show that that is represented by this meteor and this ominous ding sound. I, I was wondering if you ever worried a little bit about leaning too hard, like so hard on that, that you actually were giving people anxiety by, by proxy, <laughs> you know, like while they were watching the show. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, simple answer would be yes, I worried about that, but... I also personally just like things that that challenge me sometimes. Yeah. I, I whether it's a movie or music or whatever, I, I like stuff that kind of can put me on edge uh, a little bit, and it makes the sweet moments all the sweeter. Yeah, yeah. And the I thought the sound of that that really ominous noise was really interesting, and the sound throughout the whole series is interesting, and, and that goes with the music as well. And I know that you worked with Nathan Johnson on this, who is like one of my mm. favorite guys. I mean, he, taking you all the way back to the Brick days. Yeah, um, man. So, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about like specifically collaborating with him to create the the like aural landscape of this show? I love Nathan Johnson. I would talk all day about him. I think he's an incredible artist. And like you said, we've done lots of things together over the years. But like that, that sound that goes along with the meteor, um, and sometimes you hear it when you see a meteor, and sometimes you hear it and you don't even have to see the meteor anymore because mm -hmm. that sound has sort of become this Pavlovian thing. He he built that sound, and and he would be, have to tell you all the different parts that went into it. There's like four different weird components that he's combining to make that sound, and. We, we spent a bunch of time examining different options of like different <laughs> sounds that we could combine to to make that sound that gives that feeling. Um, and uh, that on the one hand, 
does remind you of what it's like to feel like a meteor is closing in on you. And on another hand, because sometimes we use that sound for the, a comedic effect. Mm -hmm. And, and so like there were certain versions of the sound that were actually a lot harder or angstier. And it was like, that just won't ever make anyone laugh. <laughs> and so I, I hope we kind of struck the right balance because, and I don't know, I, I guess I might have a, a dark sense of humor, but <laughs> I, I find some, <laughs> some of the, some of the most stressful or, or darker or even tragic moments in life can can make me laugh in weird ways. So uh, that sound is one of them. Yeah. Um, let's see. There, there were a couple times where I thought the show sort of um, like let it rip about the soullessness of social media. I'm specific. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the moment at the very end of one of the episodes where uh, Dax dies and somebody says like, oh, I broke 500, you know, followers. Yeah. Um, and I, I won't include this in the in the piece so I don't spoil it for anybody, but just so you know what I'm talking about. Um, sure. But I, I know that you've spent years building the, the hit record community. So in a way, like that's kind of a form of social media. So I guess I'm curious about like the potentially conflicting ideas there about like, um, you know, you're clearly passionate about a subset of social media. So just, I was just wanted to sort of pick your brain about that. Yeah, that's a great question. I, 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 I could talk about this all day too. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, I really love the idea of computers connecting people and, and people being able to relate to each other or collaborate with each other or communicate with each other online. Um, I think that's a very good thing. But there are some problems, I think, with the ways that um, today's dominant social media platforms work that create some bad incentives that is that are kind of breaking the world. Um, and there are other experts that, that could speak about it with more authority than I. Um, I like I would recommend uh, anything written by Jaron Lanier. His most recent one is called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. He has others called You're Not a Gadget or Who Owns the Future. Um, his issue that he identifies has mostly to do with the business model of uh, kind of I, if you offer something for free and in exchange you get the right to conduct mass surveillance on people and feed huge amounts of data into machine learning algorithms that will optimize for clicks or quote-unquote engagement <clears throat> without any humans even ever having control over it this is what's causing this rise in extremism and tribalism and lack of nuance and misinformation that's happening online. And so the problem isn't social media in general, according to Jaron, and I tend to agree with him. And the problem is how some of the most successful social media companies today are making money. And um, that's something I think we as a generation have to change. All right, well, I have to wrap with you, but thank you so much for your time and, <laughs> and uh, I appreciate it. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Thanks, Ben. Take care. All right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. You can find the written version of this uh, interview at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.